Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 371 Premium for Thursday, December 22nd, 2011. Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab Podcast Premium Edition, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips, and frankly, you folks support this show, and we really appreciate that. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And down here in balmy, I would say, Hillfield, Connecticut, with the temperature being 50, about 56 degrees, it doesn't feel like like December. Uh, This is John F. Braun. I know it's Christmas in two days and first, uh, first full day of winter. And uh, that's this right. Is, yeah, and this oh, is isn't this the, is, is this the soul? Oh, sorry, Pete. The, the, is yeah. this the solstice? Yeah, day? I think yesterday technically was the solstice. Okay. Shortest Ladies day and gentlemen, year. say hi to pilot Pete there. Hi Sit, everyone. Sitting here in, to my right in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm here. It's interesting because he's to my right and yet I'm in front of him. So put that in your hopper and smoke it. John, uh, it, during the pre-show, in fact, all that existed of our pre-show today because I thought it was so cool. We had to dive right into the show. You were talking about how you received uh, an Amazon gift card from a very generous soul. And yeah, two cool things happened today. Okay. Can I tell you about the two cool things I got today? Yeah, please. So I got not one, but two packages. Now the cool thing, number one is that, yes. So, um, so I, I, I got a notification in my email, which um, um, so far my, my migration to IMAP, I think, has been very successful. I'm very happy with this. But I got a notification yesterday from UPS saying, hey, John, you're getting a package tomorrow. And I'm like, wow, isn't that cool? Why are they telling me this? And then I, I thought in the back of my mind and uh, and apparently uh, UPS has now rolled out a service, which I think they only offer to their business customers. And I have just a regular individual account, but, um, but they have something called my choice where if you sign up for it, they give you a number of benefits. That being one of them is that if something, if you sign up for, for the account, um, it gives you a number of benefits. One is that the day before something is going to arrive, they'll tell you about it, which, which I got that, but then they have a few other things here. So, so, so um, this is, so you told me about this, John, and immediately I said, oh yeah, I've had that with our, our Mac observer account for a while, I get a notification if something is coming to the Mac Observer, but only to the Mac Observer, not to me personally. And and for the most part, the address is the same. And uh, and so I thought, well, that's really odd. And so uh, I started going through the process of signing up for it. And you just go to UPS.com slash my choice. And I actually logged into our existing UPS account. And it, it's letting, it appears to be letting me add this. But one thing that's very interesting is they through the process are asking me uh, questions. It's, it's a lot like a credit application, but they're questions like exactly. what, what County do you live in now? And what County was this address in? It's, it seems like credit card type, you know, credit report type information, but it's not, it's information that UPS would have about you. Now, maybe they maybe it's because I don't I don't know. Maybe it is coming from my credit report, but I can't imagine why UPS would know anything about my credit report. I certainly didn't give them authorization to pull one, nor did I give them my social. So I I think they're just having tracked me through my life and know things about my addresses. Well, uh, 
from what I could tell, they're tying into the same authentication system that is used when you do want to do a, 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 a credit. I don't see. I don't think they are. Thing. I don't think well, they are. Uh, the questions that they asked me, if I remember in the back of my head, they're like, what was one of your prior addresses? Right. But they would choices? know that about you because they're UPS. I don't think they pulled your credit report, man. Yeah. I, unless you gave them a social. Uh, to me, the questions were very similar to the ones that I've been asked when I right. mostly when I've set up bank accounts and stuff online. They're like, but John, okay, that, John, we John, gotta make stop sure. for a second. That's what Go. I'm saying is, right. yes, it's similar. It seems like that, but I don't okay. think it is. I don't know how they could have. Right. Yeah. How could they have pulled my credit report? I didn't give them my social. I've been doing this for five minutes here. I know what I've done in the last five minutes. I don't know. It just seems interesting to me. I, I I just suspect that some level they're accessing a database that's similar to the one that's used to authenticate you for for financial purposes, but they're using it for for identification because this service gives you certain powers. One is you're going to get a, a notification that something's coming for you. Right, that's you know, kind of sensitive. Now, the cool part about this, and, you know, I don't blame them. I mean, they want to make money here, but this is something that I, and especially when I worked uh, in the mailing and, and package industry, was something I always wanted is, uh, and I think a lot of people want is, you know, there's something coming for me and I'm not going to be at home. Right. And now they even say on this page here, oh, change of plans, reschedule or reroute the package for $5, which, nice. hey, if, if it's something important to Wait, you. they charge you five probably, bucks to do that? Well, I'm looking at the page right now. So UPS.com slash my choice. It says change of plans, reschedule or reroute to another location for just five bucks. Wow. They shouldn't charge you to do that. Yeah. Well, no, FedEx doesn't. And, and UPS never has when I've called them on the phone to do that. That's interesting. Well, based on what I've seen, Dave, with, with packages that the, the receiver rarely has the ability to change the dictate of the sender. This looks like it's changing that dynamic and that the receiver can change where it's coming, but UPS is going to want a few bucks for it, which I don't play. You know, hey, it's it's a value added service. And uh, and, but it, and it's, it avoids, but it's one that they've not charged for before because I've done it before. Right. And it's it's already well, maybe not not for, for maybe not for business. Uh, no, maybe no, no, they're, no, no. They're, Personal stuff that I've had shipped oh, to me. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's uh, you know, I've, I've called them up and I've said, look, I'm not going to be here. Can you send it there? Yeah, no problem. And I can see them charging if they've made an attempt at your home. You sure. Know, now it's a second attempt and you want it somewhere else, particularly if it's in the same delivery area. There should be no no yeah. additional, mm-hmm. you know, you've that that's been paid for. That's part of the shipping. Cost. Yeah. But oh, yeah, they're wow. trying to make money. But um, but, so that was cool. But then the second part that was cool, Dave, so FedEx folks, sorry, a little free advertising. (laughs) FedEx should do this too. And (laughs) one thing while we're on this, what in the world is the reason that the only service that allows me to set a forwarding address if I move is the U.S. Postal Service? Why can't FedEx or UPS do this? As a as a and I've called them and talked to them about it and I've talked to managers about it because, you know, when we moved from Connecticut up here, there are a lot of PR agencies and stuff that just have my address and stuff just arrives and they don't tell me it's coming. So I had no way of, you know, telling all these people it would be impossible for me to cover all these people and say, you know, here's our new address. I, I can try some of them, but, you know, there's going to be gaps. Why can't FedEx do that for me? Why can't UPS? And they won't. I mean, but maybe yeah. this is the first step. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe we are getting to a point where they'll do that. Yeah, they may be. It's a, uh, as you could imagine, it's a, it's a database nightmare to track where everybody is. Hey, give us the package with the right address on it. We'll deliver it. 
and we'll charge you a premium for it. Well, Everything again, else based on that's not our problem, right? Based on what I've, based on what I know here, um, having worked again in the mailing industry, the USPS maintains something called the NCOA, National Change of Address Database. I don't know if the other companies necessarily do this, and and the other thing is that the USPS does have a mandate to deliver to any address in in the country, whereas the uh, the the private carriers like U, UPS and FedEx do not. Yeah, then there may be issue, privacy issues about them keeping address records on you when you don't. You know, more people complain about it than not. And it's not even worth one complaint to them. Right. Yeah. That that'd be my guess. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> All right, let's get to uh, let's get to some questions here. Does that sound good? Oh, I wanted to babble about the. Uh, oh, you had another the, thing. Well, yeah. well, the cool part is, so I got this uh, a gift card, Amazon gift card, and the one thing I noticed on it, which uh, probably most of our listeners are aware of, but there's this uh, kind of up and coming thing called a QR code or quick response code that, uh, that that is a barcode that you're seeing more and more of. But I noticed this gift card had a QR code on it, and I'm like, huh, you know, I wonder what that's for. Or I wonder what's going to happen if I scan it. So there's a very nice app on on various devices, the iPhone and I think others, called Red Laser. And it will scan QR codes. And what was this QR code on the card? It had, basically, I scanned it and it said, hey, you want to re- redirect to Amazon? I'm like, sure. And it redirected to Amazon, asked me to log in with my credentials, and then credited me for the amount, which I just thought was the coolest thing. So you, it saved you the entire process of going through and log. You had to log in, but of entering that big long code and then the confirmation code and all the that code, stuff. The code, the the code, which I think is a twelve character code, uh, typically for for gift cards uh, under Amazon, was embedded in the URL. So once I logged in, it said, oh, "Okay, you want me to add this to your account?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." So That's that was cool. neat. So cool. whenever you see a QR code, well, you, you got to be careful. But this one, I trust that it was on an Amazon gift card. So sure. But it's cool. just neat that it was able to do it. So Red Laser is, is a, love Red Laser. a very nice app. Yeah. Red Laser is awesome. It looks around for the nearest online and local if you let it lose, use your location. Right. It figures out the lowest price. So you can stand in Walmart and go, yeah, yeah it's lower price next door at Target or yep. something like that. And then Walmart will honor it and give you 10% below that. Ooh. Oh, that's right. Yeah. A lot of retailers oh, will do yeah. that if you go, hey, you know, hey, they're offering it All over right. here at a lower That price. was package number one, package yeah, number cool. two, and then let's move on. Package number two was I got my iPod Nano replacement, and I did get a sixth gen replacement. Oh, so did my wife. You Did you have a first gen that had the battery issue they recalled? Yes. Yeah, she got hers yesterday. And apparently our Nano. information, we have a poll on, on the Mac Observer site, but I think some people got the first gen, but then I think they just ran out. Uh-huh. So, so they started replacing it because that was my suspicion is, are they going to ramp up a production line or, or pull all the refurbs? So that was the other uh, goodie I got today. Let so I got ask, two did goodies. Did you get a color one? It's, uh, it's actually silver. Yeah. Debbie's was silver too. She was disappointed. She wanted to choose a color, but there was nowhere in that process <laughs> to choose. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, well. right. Hey, you know. right. Enough about my toys. We are here to answer your questions and let's go, Dave. John, all I right. could use a fire with that Amazon card you got, buddy. <laughs> Just saying. All right. Uh, so uh, Ralph wrote in and Ralph writes, I use Mac Tracker to keep track of my Apple hardware. It looks like the data file named Mac Tracker data for this app is stored in user library, my home folder, library, application support, Mac Tracker. 
I would like to move this file to Dropbox, but I do not see an option in Mac Tracker's preferences to point the app to an alternate location for the data file. Is there a way to use Dropbox to have the data file sync between my computers? Okay, so uh, I'm going to answer this question and then we're going to talk about why it might not work and caveats and what you need to uh, what you need to go through. But this is it in a general sense. You know, Dropbox is a great way to have data synced between multiple computers. In fact, that's kind of what it's all about. Uh, and you can. What I would do in this case is go into the application support folder and find that Mac tracker folder, the entire thing, and move it to your Dropbox folder and then create an alias back to your uh, Mac tracker, you know, back to your application support folder and name that alias Mac tracker that in theory should work. Uh, and it will in some cases, um, some apps might get picky about this and not want to point with an alias. In that case, you'd have to do something called a symbolic link and, uh, and it, a symbolic link and an alias are very similar. In fact, to a user, to you and I, they're really the same thing, but to the computer, they're a little bit different and, you can use the terminal to create symbolic links, but you're better off using a, an app that uh, that we found out about a while back called Symbolic Linker. And it's just a little GUI that creates these. So we'll put a link in the show notes for that. So once you've got your you want the data file to actually reside on your Dropbox because that's the way it's going to sync best. And then you just need a pointer from where the data file used to live, pointing it to your Dropbox. And again, that pointer can either be an alias or a symbolic link. So now we've talked about the how to now let's talk about the why or why not. The problem is if you're syncing a data file and the software is not built to know that or, or to, to be it, the software is not prepared for that data file to be accessed by another copy of that app. So let's say you have Mac tracker running on your iMac and then you open it on your MacBook Pro and they're syncing this data file back and forth with Dropbox. Well, neither computer knows that the other one's writing to this file. They both assume incorrectly that they are the only version of Mac Tracker reading or writing from that file. So you just got to be very careful. And the, the, the first rule of thumb is only have the app open on one computer at a time. So if it's something like Mac Tracker, where you're probably not leaving it open all day long, you're just opening it occasionally, updating some data, looking up some data and then quitting that for that kind of use case. It's probably OK. Uh, but, you know, for something where you're in it all the time, you got to be really careful that you don't start opening the file in two places. Um, you know, Yojimbo from Barebones actually is built to sync over Dropbox. And it's smart. It, you do it the same way. You create an alias from the application support folder. You have to go through the same gyrations. But it's smart enough to know that if you've got it open on one computer, it'll say, if you try to open it on another one, it'll say, hey, wait a minute. Right now, uh, your iMac is report or the data file reports that it is opened by your iMac. If you know that not to be true, you can override it. But we're giving you fair warning here that if, if it's open in both places, this is going to be, you know, a total mess. So have you ever done any, any of this stuff, John? Not really, but I want to address a different thing that I think Ralph brought up in, in a follow-up. Okay. And I think this is a, a good general tip here for folks that are wondering. So if you have an application and it's storing data in a, in, in a master data file, now, now I think he, he, he followed up and saying, you know what? I think it's changed. And I will offer Ralph this advice. So how could you possibly know what 
files an application is is opening and closing and manipulating, Dave? That's a great question. Yeah, Ralph came to us knowing that it was this Mac tracker or thinking it was this Mac tracker data file. But yeah, if you want to if you want to start from scratch and try to figure this out, how do you know? That's right. So go ahead, John. You are. Well, yeah, go ahead. And I dug into this and I'm, I'm, I'm not finished with my investigation here, but FS Eventer. Oh, that's it's one a piece way. of software we've mentioned. Well, it, it, I think it is. Well, unless you think you know where the data is contained, and, and you and I have certainly talked about looking at, at plist files or preference files and trying to find the one that's been most recently updated. And that's, I, I would say that's a good place to start. But FS Eventer uh, is something yeah. that basically digs into the file system and it will tell you when an application opens, closes, changes, and all sorts of activity here. And you can sort by application. So, so I would say in general, if you want to figure this sort of thing out for any sort of application, as far as trying to centralize a data file, FS Eventer, you start it, you, you click on record, you say, all right, tell me everything that's happening as far as file activity. And then after a while, you, you tell it to cut it out. And then, you look, and then you sort by the application you're interested in. And it will tell you specifically what data files or any files uh, it, it is it is working with, and it's not just data files, but it could be fonts and I mean all sorts of stuff. It, it's really when you look at all the data this thing captures, it, it it's quite incredible. And as far as I know, this is a it, it it's a, not exactly free. Well, it's free, but they they certainly encourage donations, and I've I've tossed them a few bucks because I I find it just an invaluable tool for when you're wondering what is happening with my file system that this helps you zero in. It, it, it's That's just, a good idea. I hadn't thought about that. I like that idea. Yeah. I would, I always go to my, you know, my old standby of, of doing my sure. custom search, make a change to the file in the app or make a change in the application and then go quick and look and see what files float to the top of that, that, you know, my custom uh, search list, which we've talked about and I'm sure we'll talk about again, but uh Oh yeah, FS Eventer. That's um that'll definitely point you to stuff. That's yeah, that's way that's way more exact. Huh. Cool. But far more data than you might want. Well, that's the only thing. You gotta right. look for it. Now it does identify the event type, so you know you may want to look for an open and uh, uh so number one it lets you sort by app, number two it lets you sort by event type. Right. So this would certainly be something that you wanna use. Um put in your your geek tool belt. To, uh, yeah. to to find out what what files your your applications are, are accessing, and I think for for a number of problems, it, it it can certainly help you zero in on on what the heck's going on. I like it. I got to remember that I, I, that's not part of my uh, really. Well, I mean, I have it because we've talked about it, but I it's not it, it's not part of my mindset when I'm going to to do something like this. So I got to make it part of it because that's good. That's good stuff. And you All know, right. I I, oh, I used ahead. it the other day. I I saw. Just just to tell you, the other day, all of a sudden, my MacBook Pro started doing a time machine verify. I'm like, what? Well, the thing is, I noticed, so I'm using iStat menus, and all of a sudden, I saw the drive lights going crazy. And I'm like, what? What are you doing? And so I opened up FS Eventer, and apparently, uh, uh, and, and then I noticed that uh, there was a file being accessed in, uh, I think it's a place where a lot of interesting data gets stored. I think it was a slash private slash var slash db, I think. Oh, yeah. 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 There's one part of the OS where, uh, yeah. And all of a sudden it it showed uh, some activity and apparently it was trying to verify a local um, sparse bundle or, or some derivative of what had happened with Time Machine. Because when I looked at my Time Machine menu, it said verifying. And I'm like, why are you doing this now? Was that an on a Lion Eventer. machine, John? 
Yes, it is. And FS Inventor, so it could have been one of the local backups, but FS Inventor showed me, and and they have so both a list view but a real time view, and it just showed a continual activity in private var DB uh, for something that was related to uh, to Time Machine. So can't say enough nice things about this app. Though though again, it could be overwhelming, but 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 depending on what you're trying to do, it can it, it, again it helps you figure out at some level what what what's going on. Yeah, I like that. Whose phone's buzzing here? Look at me. No one saw me. You can't oh, prove a thing. No, no, no. That's not, that's not allowed, Pete. <laughs> Pilot not Pete's me, though. I got all my kinds phone, of problems. But I got my phone ready for the next question, Dave. I'm ready Okay, for Derek, who I think we're, we're moving on to, right? We are. Yeah. All right. So Derek writes, I have a question about mobile me mail rules and my iThings, which is a nice little uh, fits right into some of the I discussions think. we've been having already. Yeah, that's right. His iOS devices. I've set up a few rules to move certain emails to separate folders set up on the server. For example, I've got two aliases that when an email is sent to one of those aliases, it moves that message into the appropriate folder. Uh, The issue I'm having is that those messages that get moved into that folder don't get pushed to my iPhone or iPad. They show up when I drill down into the folder only. Sometimes a message may come in that is time sensitive and I miss it because I'm not at my computer. If I'm fine, if it's just something I have to live with, but I figured I'd give a shout out to you guys and see if you have any ideas for a workaround. Okay, so just to explain what's happening here, uh, he has his Mac, a rule running on his Mac, and and this could actually be a rule running on the server. You know, we talked about moving rules to the server. In in this case, it doesn't matter, but the, the rule is running and it's moving the message from one from his inbox on the IMAP server to another mailbox on the IMAP server. And he's right. While his Mac will constantly check all of the mailboxes on the server, your iOS devices only check the inbox at its regularly polled interval. Uh, and, and if you've got it set up for push, then it'll then it'll do pushed on the inbox. But other mailboxes that you have set up will only refetch when you drill down to them. Uh, and, and so that's the problem. My my solution, I'm curious, John, to hear to hear yours. But my solution was. You know, knowing that the only mailbox that syncs all the time on your iOS device is your inbox. My feeling was, well, if we can't beat them, join them, go set up a Gmail account that's only for these messages and make your rule instead of or perhaps in addition to moving it to that other little, uh, you know, subfolder on your iMac, iMap account, if you will, uh, have it also forward that message to this other uh, email account and that way it'll show up in the inbox and the inbox is automatically fetched and it's updated and it shows a badge on your mail app so you'll know that there's something there that to me that's the only the only magic answer to work within the limitations of of the way ios mail works and to be fair i don't think in a general sense we'd want ios mail to work in a different way i mean battery and network usage you don't need it updating your trash folder all the time or, you know, or your even your sent folder all the time. You just need it to update that stuff when you're looking at it. So that that's that's my thought, John. I'm curious what you uh, what you think. I bet you are. <laughs> <laughs> I always am. OK, oh, I know. So what I would suggest this on your iDevice and here I'm looking at my iPhone with iOS 5 okay. and I'm going into the settings section, mail, contacts and calendars. And then, of course, it'll show you your various accounts that have to do with all of that. And then there's a choice called fetch new data. And I think as you pointed out, Dave, push is probably what you want to have it set for. But I'm going to offer an additional 
uh, additional suggestion here is that if you look in that dialogue, fetch new, fetch new data, push on. If you go to the bottom of that, then there's an advanced option. And then that lets you tune the behavior for each of the accounts that you have defined on the iDevice. And what I'm suggesting is that if it's not doing what you want, you may want to change it. Um, no, I think you got it wrong, John. Um, cause all that does, cause I do that, right. Cause I, I use well, accounts. Well, 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 let me, let me go on a bit here. Okay. So keep going. if you go to, if you go to advanced for a particular account, you can go push fetch and manual, right? Now, fetch, from what I recall, does let you set up a schedule. So what I'm suggesting is that it, it may do what we want here. If we change the the uh, the schedule from push to, well, certainly not manual. Manual is what's happening already. But, I'm, but what I'm suggesting is that setting up fetch and setting up a, a specific schedule, which pretty much makes the device, I think. Yeah, okay. I got to stop server. you because you're, you're heading down the wrong. That's only all of this. Okay. All of this is only for the inbox. The only automatic checking that iOS will do is for the inbox. Okay. Right. So it's not going to help. No matter what we set these things to, it's not going to change iOS's behavior about other mailboxes on that account. Hmm. Do you get what I'm saying? No, I get maybe, what you're you, maybe you the, haven't the, used IMAP on iOS long enough to to have experience. No, I this. haven't because it's not clear to me from the di- from the settings here that that's the case. But okay, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll 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 trust you on this one. Yeah, no, you'll see if you go check your you know if you go check your trash folder in a week, you'll see mm-hmm. when you pull it up that it's got data from like the day you set up your i your IMAP account or the last time you visited your trash folder on your uh, on your iOS device. Yeah, and so these settings don't uh, impact anything other than the inbox does that make huh. sense yeah well yeah. that stinks right <laughs> no i know i noticed I that too it, no as i moved to imap i noticed that uh, especially in the iDevice, that what i saw wasn't the same thing that i saw when i was on my uh my macbook okay right. no what you say makes perfect sense but I, yeah. I was digging into the menus and hey Perhaps for someone, this could be valuable because I, I just I had never dug into the, the the menu at that level of detail, but it lets you fine tune the behavior. But yeah, for only a certain box is what you're saying, right? Uh, what I'm saying is that the inbox is the only thing that is updated. Right. right. And for all other mailboxes, drafts, sent trash, and then any archive right. and any custom mailboxes you've you've created on that account they're not going to get auto updated. So for him, he's got it, you know, being that the inbox is the only thing that's auto updating. He's got to create another account, like a Gmail account or a free iCloud account or, you know, something else so that he's got it at that high priority level. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the, got it. That's the trick. All right. Uh, Moving on to, yeah, this is interesting. We actually got a couple of emails about windows viruses and, and how they relate to the Mac this week. So we'll, we'll let it kick off with Anthony's question here and then, um, and then we'll, we'll sort of let it, let it meander from there. Hey, John, Dave and pilot Pete, this is Anthony from the Bronx, um, premium subscriber. I'm running, um, Lion on my MacBook pro 2011. I'm also running VMware fusion and I'm virtualizing windows seven. In Windows 7, I am running McAfee um, Internet Security Suite in Windows itself. Do you guys think there's a need for me to run an an antivirus or somehow buckle up the safety for my Mac Mac itself? Because I'm running Lion. I don't want to 
anything to cross over. I don't know what the actual threat of that happening would be. But anyway, thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, so in general, uh, viruses on the Windows side are going to do one of two things. Uh, They're going to attack programs on the Windows side or they're going to attack the operating system. Most of them attack the OS. Uh, There used to be some that and and I don't and maybe you know more about this, John. There used to be like Microsoft Word. Maybe. Yeah. um, Used to have some some viruses in it. So uh, but in general, no, the viruses aren't going to even if your Windows install is infected with a virus, your Mac side is not susceptible to being infected oh, by that oh, same oh, virus. Oh, oh. Mm. Okay, let me ask. I, 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 I do not agree with that. Okay. Okay. Well, go. I'm, I'm going to offer the caveat here. Yeah, if go. I, if I could right. interject David. <laughs> there it is. That there's that name. Again. Uh-oh. <laughs> with that, you better go. I, I, I would, like I would, no, I would interject. So, so number one, having McAfee or any, virus or malware protection on the windows side that is updated regularly you're cool with that the only caveat i would offer is that if the vm environment that you're using allows you to mount the mac file system uh, then you got to be careful and i know that at least my vmware installation i allow it to mount uh i think it's my home folder right which some may say, dude, you're nuts. Yeah, I don't but, do that for, for exactly <laughs> but, 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 this reason. Yeah, right. Well, that's yeah. why I would say. So if you're if you're VM is isolated to only running in the VM environment, then I would say uh, at least file based attacks, because there are some viruses or malware or whatever on the Windows side where their goal in life is to delete everything. And if they see a drive, whether it be a local drive, you know, being a virtual disk or a network drive that you've mapped over, which, you know, these programs do this for a reason because it, it's convenient. I do it in a VMware because I, I sometimes want to share data between the Mac environment and the, right. the, the Windows environment. So that that would be my caveat. Uh, though, though, again, he's running something on the Windows side. So I, I, I guess what I would say is that as long as you keep that updated and all that, if you can at all avoid uh, sharing, uh, and it typically mounts it as a, you know, it looks like a network volume. If you don't need that, then turn that off. And then I think you'll be a lot safer. In that case, if you turn off the access to the Mac file system through the virtualization environment, then I would say you you shouldn't need a separate antivirus or any malware on on the Mac side. Oh, but even if you even if you do turn it on, nothing on the Mac side is going to protect you. It, well, two. It, it's actually this is important distinction here. Yes, if you mount your Mac file system, and and, and this is important. Right. What you brought up, if you mount your Mac file system, it is susceptible to anything that happens on the Windows side, including a virus. However, even if you do that, your Mac operating system will not be infected by a Windows virus, nor would Mac antivirus software protect you against what would happen inside the Windows uh, environment. So if you've got antivirus on your Mac running and nothing running in Windows, let's say, uh, which is backwards, I get, but bear with me here, folks. Uh, if you had antivirus running on the Mac side and nothing running in VMware, but you were mounting your your drive, uh, your Mac home folder inside VMware, even though you have antivirus running on the Mac, it's not going to catch what is happening inside the Windows partition and fix it. It's it, you're you know you could still potentially lose all your files. The so even only... in this even in this case, I wouldn't run antivirus on. I wouldn't say you need to run antivirus on the Mac. The only exception I could see is applications that are cross-platform 
which mm-hmm. include a programming language. And I guess uh, I haven't looked at these for a while, but Windows had these macro viruses where Word, you mean, it, had macro viruses. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. Microsoft yeah. Word. Uh, and I think a lot of the other Microsoft programs would allow you to write small programs within a document, whether it be Word and I think even Excel and some of the others, and you could execute uh, code. I think it's called Visual Basic for Applications. So, uh, potentially you could have a word document that could do nasty things on both windows. And yeah, I don't think, Mac. I don't think that's possible anymore though. Right. Because I, I haven't, I haven't seen it. And you know, the, the, the thing is actually the other day I got an email that actually said <laughs> your email and the email address was John at MacObserver.com. Your email address has won a million pounds. So number one, it's like, well, wrong country. Yeah, I'm, in the, I'm in the U S dude. <laughs> And number two, it had a Word document as an attachment. And I'm like, ah, oh, you got to be kidding me. So I'm like, oh, I got to look because I'm almost sure that this attachment. <laughs> the thing is, the, the, uh, the well, they're unit of currency. But no, I, I know what you're saying. But, yeah. you know, I scanned this document because I almost suspected that this document had some sort of virus embedded in it. It didn't. And I used, a, there's something called Clam AV, and they have a, a version for OS X called Clam AV. X or 10, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, and that didn't find it either. Actually, when I looked at the document, so I eventually did. Yeah. Some people may say, John, you're crazy. Why did you open this document? But actually, I quick, well, no, actually I quick looked it in mail. I quick looked it. I didn't open it, but I did a quick look, which I don't think is quite an open. And it showed me a document that basically you, you filled out your name, your address, your bank account, and then you sent it to some email address. So it was kind of a, a physical attack. <laughs> to ask you to be stupid to say right. oh yes i and it was like you know the lottery is being run by hotmail and microsoft and all that and and if you give us all your information we're going to send you a million million uh, british pounds nice. so so i don't think the document itself had anything nasty and i ran it through both clam av and uh and after and filling out programs. this form open terminal type rm dash <laughs> Well, wow. uh, I send in the forum and I'm, uh, you know, whatever I get, I'm going to, I'm going to, I guarantee I will share equally with both uh, Pete and Dave. Perfect. Thank that's you, great. Wow, that's nice of you, man. What a, that's a little treat at the end of the year. Here. Yeah, actually, but you know what, what, what Clam did find, which was surprising, Dave, and then we'll move on here. When, when I did run it on my Mac, you know what it found? It found some emails because now, you know, I'm, I'm migrating my email. It did find a couple of emails from long ago when you and I were talking about phishing. Oh, yeah. And it actually identified um, two emails as banking phishing. Because I think a, a number of episodes ago, we were talking about that, where, where it looks like you're getting an email from a bank. And it actually highlighted two emails that were you and I tossing one between us. And it said, you know what? This email looks like it's banking phishing. And it was an email that, again, you and I right. were discussing this topic in, in preparation for a show. Oh, so so Clam and, and the price for Clam is... Right. In that it's a it's a crowdsourced, open right. source kind of thing. So so if you got to run something on the Mac side, I would say that 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 may be. But but again, to, to rewind and pull back here. Um, what was the question? No, the question was, does he need to run it? And I, I, I don't think he does on the Mac side. And and I'm going to reiterate, if at all, you know, turn off network drive access from the virtual environment to the Mac environment, just to, just to be uh, totally safe. I've got a question so, for you, John. Go ahead. Does, the v- go. does VMware have the ability to take a snapshot of your operating system? Yes. Okay, because I know Parallels did. And that was always my strategy with Parallels. What do you mean snapshot? I, uh, you mean like suspend? Basically, no, it would take, you know, basically your clean system. 
it would take it and store it, the, the whole system, everything installed, all the programs and that sort of thing, so that if you got a virus, you could simply revert to that snapshot before the virus infected. Okay. And, and that's well, no, what again, I would do What, what they do, I think it's called suspend. No, okay. no, 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 no. Two, di- two very different things. Suspend just suspends it. And when you resume, you keep going. And whatever was suspended is lost. <sighs> He, what Pete is talking about oh, is, okay, okay. is snapshots, and I'm pretty sure VMware Fusion, which is the name of the Mac product, uh, does that. Yeah, yeah, it's called Auto Protect in in VMware okay. Fusion, and yes, you can do exactly that, and you can save them, so you could roll back to something many many days ago. Known to be ago. a good in, infected free or yeah virus free uh, virus yes. free yeah that's operating right. system, which is what was my always uh, strategy, and and I never ran any. Uh, antivirus in parallels okay. i just took good snapshots yeah and would roll back if, if it and i never did have anything but I, that was my that was your protection, protection. Sure. sure um one thing i want to point out that uh and i don't have the email up so i can't give the listener credit by name but but one of our premium listeners wrote in today and said or recently and said uh you know you've mentioned that using something like crossover which which doesn't it emulates windows in a, well, it actually, it doesn't emulate windows, but it, it sets up an environment that allows windows apps to run without windows being uh, active uh, is great because, you know, you, I, I've said this before that, that you have this benefit that you don't have to worry about windows viruses, which is true because if the virus affects the operating system, there is no operating system running. There is no windows operating system running with, with something like crossover <laughs> And so therefore you don't have to worry about viruses. And this, this listener uh, very astutely pointed out that while that's mostly true and probably is true for 99% of the people out there, if there is a virus out that targets an application as opposed to the operating system, which again is possible, but rare, especially these days, then that application would in theory be susceptible to it. If you opened a file that had uh, that, Unfortunately, though, in that case, there really is no protection uh, unless your Mac antivirus software happens to catch these things, because it really is the Mac OS that's that's kind of managing that. So so bear that in mind. If there was some Microsoft Word virus or something that could be inherited by Word for Windows running inside crossover, it, I think it was Gary or Greg might have been Greg. the G might have been Greg. Yeah, that's right. I think you're right, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, he he's correct in the sense that so crossover offers a, a translation between Windows API calls and Mac API calls. Right. Now, the thing is, if somebody writes a virus and, and I think uh, for the most part, he's correct. But no, if you write a virus, if well, if you're using built in Windows calls to say, like, format the hard drive, then, yeah, it it's going to destroy things within something like crossover. But if they're doing undocumented sneaky things, then, yeah, but it probably won't. Yeah. Manifest itself under something like crossover. All right, John. So, uh, so let's go. We're going to get really geeky for a second as if we haven't been already. And, uh, and we'll hear what Jim has to say. Hi, Dave and John. Is there a way to have one's local address book be made available as an LDAP service on a Mac as in localhost? My reason for wanting to do this is that I want to access my address book contacts in Mac Outlook 2011 mail without copying those contacts to Outlook or attempting to sync the contacts. I found that Outlook sync is problematic, often resulting in duplicates or mangled contacts due to data field structural differences, and with Apple's move to iCloud, Outlook 2011 is a bit behind in handling that change. 
philosophically, I would prefer to have one authoritative information source on my MacBook Air and have all other programs use that single source. One place to update without needing to fix broken sync attempts. Thanks in advance for any pointers. Here's where you cut me off. So, uh, so Jim, so you, what you're saying is you want one address book to rule them all is uh, is what I'm hearing here. <laughs> <laughs> and no, this is this is actually really smart because LDAP is is a, a open protocol for uh, sharing contacts. And so having everything, even though it's all happening internal on your Mac, having everything point to this LDAP server sort of solves that problem of custom sync engines and, and all of that stuff. Uh, and certainly address book can point to an LDAP server. But as an aside, I will point out that if you have address book and pilot Pete and I found this out after show 370, uh, his address book wouldn't quit. And what it turned out it was, was um, that he had an LDAP server configured that was not answering anymore. It was an older LDAP server and address book. And we found this out in the coolest way. Okay. Total tangent here. Uh, and this is something I even said to Pete, I said, you know, we got to start doing little videos or something because I, I would love to show this troubleshooting process, but it's going to be a pain in the neck to explain. And I'd never want to explain it. And yet here I am about to explain it. So uh, we saw that address book was not quitting and, uh, and it would just hang there and you had to force quit it. And so I said, okay, fine. So I opened activity monitor and I double clicked address book and I went to open files and ports because I wanted to see what is it doing, right? That's what you do. You run activity monitor, you find the process and you go to open files and ports and that will show not only files, but as it says ports, which are in this case, network accesses. And I saw it trying to connect to this LDAP server over and over again. It was just like yeah. rolling through. And so that was like, okay, now we know what the problem is. And so, so the solution, which I was really, really proud of. <laughs> Was um, that's all right, Pete. Uh, the solution, John, you're going to love this. I turned off Wi-Fi on his computer because I couldn't get in when I went to disable it in the preferences for address book. Uh, it wouldn't respond. It wouldn't respond because it was going to try and like hang up with this server and it couldn't. But I turned off Wi-Fi so it wouldn't even try because it knew it didn't have a network connection and it totally worked. So I was really proud of that, John. I thought you'd like it was that. Beautiful. Yeah. Good. good stuff. I know. All right, All right, but anyway, so, so for, for Jim here, John, he wants a local, on, all on one machine. He wants to run an LDAP server. And from what I understand, I don't think OS ten has that, at least not active by default. But oh, you're going to tell us more. All right, let's go. <laughs> so number one, what do we mean when we say LDAP? I'm going to tell you. LDAP is Lightweight Directory Access Protocol. What's a directory? A directory in a general sense is a server that gives you information. That's useful. And it could be address book information. Right. And as, as you point out, and actually, if you do this, if you go into address book on both Snow Leopard and, and Lion and you go into the account section and you say, let's add an account, you're going to get some options here. And actually looking on Snow Leopard, I, I see some options and, and I recall seeing more on Lion, but uh, on Snow Leopard, I see card dev exchange and LDAP. LDAP is swell because LDAP is a, uh, in theory, an open standard. Right. So here is my response to him. Now, the thing is, I am not aware of a way to convert address book to directly to an LDAP server, which is what he's looking for. Right. So right. In that respect, I failed. But I failed but, but if you could. But but here's and, and I think you're going to talk about specifics, but just in a general sense. So if we can't just take address books data and share it directly, the second best solution would be to set up an LDAP server 
and copy address yes. books data into it. Right. And then point both address book and outlook at this common server and let the server deal with sync changes and all of that stuff. Right. Okay. All right. So there are a few options that I found. So number one, if you get the server version of OS 10, they include something called address book server, which to me, I think is pretty self-explanatory. Now I do not think it's LDAP compatible, but it's certainly a place oh, to start. Oh, really? I thought that was LDAP. I, I could be wrong. I, um, I, I assumed it well, was Well, that's LDAP. the thing. I, I, I don't know if it's proprietary or not. So, number one, there is OS X server and it includes a server version of an address book. So, maybe that's one. Okay. Now, another thing is I found a product called, unfortunately, uh, for them, because they're, they're, there's a little, little conflict here, something called address book server addressbookserver.com. And this is a company that makes a product, uh, both a free and a paid product, but they make a free product, it looks like, that lets you share your contacts and calendars with other OS X users. Uh, so it looks like they have a freebie, and then I also found that they looks like they have an LDAP plugin, which you then have to pay some money for. So okay. that is one product that I found, but then the final thing that I found, Dave, that, that made me happy, and I think maybe... The way to go here is there's something. Uh, so OS 10 is is a good network or internet citizen in that they use a lot of open source software underneath the covers, just like a lot of uh, un, Unices, Unixes. Uh, I, I, I always said Unixes. Okay. That's my thing. So. We'll say Unix. <laughs> Unix. <laughs> but the thing is, um, there, you go. there is something buried. Uh, so there's something out in the community called Open LDAP. And guess what? As far as I can tell, Open LDAP is embedded in not only Mac OS X server, but Mac OS X client. So I found a, an article uh, surprisingly titled Starting Open LDAP on Mac OS X client. Dude. Wow. Hey, that's what I get paid for, right? That it totally is. That's what we're <laughs> here for. So, so I think what you may be able to do, so I don't have the gory details. To me, the gory detail here is taking the data wherever it resides, whether it be in exchange or in address book, getting it out and then pulling it into the LDAP. And that, that I have not addressed. I apologize. But it looks to me like an open LDAP server lives within Mac OS X, whether it be server or a client. And this article I found tells you how to invoke it. So I think it's possible. I think the biggest challenge is going to be the gymnastics you're going to have to go through, getting the data out of whatever repository it's in and into an LDAP server. And and I do not immediately have an answer for that. Dude, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. It's there. I'm, I'm looking at this now and I'm finding it on my snow leopard machine. It's called slap D is the name of the demon. And, and, uh, and I can pull up a man page for it. And it's a standalone, a slap D standalone LDAP demon. So dude, nice. That's right. You know, when I first saw this question, I thought, Oh no, that's too geeky for the show. And then I started thinking, no, you know what? This is actually, you know, we, we talk about putting our mail on IMAP servers and that way it's accessible from anything we want to access. It's, it's a similar thing here. You put your contact data instead of having it in some, I was going to say proprietary. Now Apple stores the data in VCF format. So it's, it's not proprietary, but, but you know, this gets it accessible. That's a good thing, man. That's nice. Fine. 
I like it. Yeah, and I've done. I uh, I worked. The thing is, why I jumped at this is I worked with LDAP in the in the corporate space. Okay, and it, it, it's a standard. The good news is a standard. The bad news is that some people try to bastardize it. Like for example. Active Directory, which is Microsoft's flavor, right. and I think at some level it's somewhat compatible. Okay, the, the, don't don't you know quote me on that, but I, I think at some level it is. But LDAP is a nice open standard, and then some people take it and run with it, and maybe do weird things with it. But but I think this open LDAP thing within OS 10 is is probably the best direction to take here. Again, the the biggest challenge is how you're going to get the data out of where it is and into the LDAP server. Got it. Cool. All right. Well, Paul has a uh, a very interesting question that is counter to all this, or at least pulls into question all this advice that we've just given here. Paul writes, something's been on my mind recently, and whilst it's not quite keeping me up at night, it has been niggling me. Paul is from the UK, in case you couldn't tell. Uh, and I appreciate the... Uh, the What's a niggle? I'm not sure. Niggle. I think it's been bothering him. I think it's awesome. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I think it's great. I'm, but I'm not going to do it in a phony English accent because it'll just sound bad. Uh, my daughter would love to do that, though. She's uh, she's mastered all these different accents. But anyway, uh, ever since I started listening to Matt Geekab, I have had at least one thing drummed into my head. Back up, back up, back up. With this in mind, I began to wonder what would happen to my email calendars and notes if something was to go wrong with my iCloud account, such as I accidentally deleted it. And perhaps this is easily done. Uh, if the emails, calendars and notes resided on my Mac, they would be backed up by SuperDuper or Time Machine and I would be able to rest safe in the knowledge that I am all backed up. Anyway, my question is, am I overthinking this or are my concerns valid? And if so, what can I do to set my mind at ease? Okay. So, yeah, very good question, because what we're talking about as we move things to LDAP servers or IMAP servers. Now, of course, in the last question, we we're talking to talking about moving it to an LDAP server that's local on your Mac. So that's a little different. But IMAP, certainly Dropbox, certainly, you know, we're storing this data on the cloud. And more importantly, we are letting the cloud be the master uh, source of all this data now. What's what's important to remember and what should set Paul's mind at ease to a point is that, yes, even though with an IMAP server or with Dropbox, the cloud is the boss. You do have a local copy on your machine. So if something were to happen and the server were to die, you could go to an older backup and pull all of that data out. In fact, if the server were to simply die, mm. uh, you could pull your data is still on your Mac. Right. I mean, if, if if iCloud Mail went down right now, all the data that you have on your Mac will stay there. What maybe? No, definitely. Without no, question. No, if the server. No, no stop. No. no. Listen, if the server. No, went I'm not going to stop. If the all server. Right, went I'll, I'll off, let you go and then I'll tell you why you're wrong. If the server went offline, your data, just like if you bring your Mac offline, if you're on an airplane, you still have access to all the data that's on your Mac. So if you lose access to the server, you have all the data that's on your Mac. However. If the server, for whatever reason, decides to not just go and die, but if the server or something that's connected to the server tells the server delete all the data, then the server is going to push that change down to your Mac and your Mac will comply. There is nothing on your Mac to stop it from wiping out all your mail. So if you let's say you have two Macs connected to an IMAP server, because this is something that you could create. This is a problem you could create on your own. If you go onto one of the Macs and delete everything out of your inbox, the next time your other Mac syncs up with that IMAX, IMAP server, all the data is gone from there, too. 
And I think that's what you were going to point at, John, when you no. uh, when you started jumping at me here. No. no. Okay. No, go. I'm going to keep jumping at you. Okay, jump. Go. <laughs> right. I, I well, got, I've got more well, to talk well, about no. here, but go. No, I know you do, but I'm going to ask you. So when I go into mail mm-hmm. accounts mm-hmm. under an IMAP account in the advanced tab, there is a choice to keep copies of messages oh. for offline viewing. Excellent. And the choices are all messages and attachments, all messages, but admin attachments, attachments, only messages I've read or don't keep copies. I'm going to speculate that that influences the behavior of at least mail <laughs> as to whether it keeps a local copy. So you're that's why a, now I, you're being a wise ass. No, you're, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. That, uh, that now I think the yeah. default behavior, okay. Correct. That, yeah. That's why I was trying to stop you, brother. No, yeah, no, you're right. No, the default behavior, I think, and it's a good one. And I, I think this is the general advice that I'm going to offer. If my, if my friend Dave will let me is <laughs> most apps that let you store things in the server will also let you keep a local copy and mail. So I told you explicitly how to get to that section. Right. And you can certainly turn it off. I don't know. Uh, uh, all, all I know is all my mail accounts, I have that on. Right. Because I want that local copy because I don't want to rely just on the cloud. And, yeah. and to me, that's a valid concern is that, you know, the whole thing about cloud computing that, that again, really bothers me. I mean, you, you and I, you know, we're in pretty populated kind of hip areas and we're used to pretty regular connectivity via Wi-Fi or or cable or Fios or whatever. But but there's still some people even in in. America, Dave, that yeah. don't have reliable access That's to a true. network. And and if the cloud's not there, the cloud's not there and you're you're screwed. To, to be honest. So Yeah, no, that's true. Right. So I just want to point that out to you. It, no. It's an option, it's usually on, but if you turn it off, then you may be in trouble. So yeah, that a very valid point and well worth the interruption. No, that's that's right. Yeah. So so Yes. Assuming you've got your Mac set or you haven't gone out of your way to set your Mac not to keep local copies, then yes, you've got those things local on your Mac. But it is important to have backups of that stuff and don't just trust the cloud. I mean, with Dropbox, they've got a thing where if you were to do that, you could go back 30 days or if you have a paid account, I think you can go back even further than that uh, to get your data. But that's assuming that Dropbox's system is working properly and you don't want Well, as good as they as they uh, do over there, you don't want to rely on that necessarily. You want to keep your own copy and you want to back up that copy. Now, uh, you know, I've got three Macs connected to my Dropbox account. I only let one of them back up my Dropbox. The other two, I have omitted my Dropbox folder from my time machine backups. The same is true for my IMAP mail. I do not need two backups or three backups of my mail from the three computers that sync to my IMAP account. It's, it's, it's just, you know, it, in fact, they would all go on the same time capsule. So there's really no reason to just fill up the drive with multiple copies of exactly the same documents. So again, I have omitted my mail. Now Dropbox is easy. You go into time machine uh, settings in the system preference and you omit your home Dropbox folder. Mail's a little different. You have to go into home library and mail, uh, sorry, home library, I think it's home library mail. Yeah. Home library mail. Just omit the home library mail folder and that'll, uh, that'll do it. And that just, you know, and unless you have a reason to have multiple backups of the exact same data, then there's no reason to have multiple backups of the exact same data. So, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's what you got to do. And it is a valid concern, Paul, uh, as we begin to rely on the cloud, you know, our computers implicitly trust the cloud. So if someone were to go to, 
uh, downstairs. Like if Pete were to get up and run downstairs to my, uh, oh, he's gone, uh, to my iMac down there and delete my inbox, it would disappear in front of my eyes on this computer here. And, and that wouldn't necessarily be a comforting thought. Would it, John? Um, it, it depends on the reason for, <laughs> you know, oh, I mean, it depends on, you know, who, the who's coming after you, Dave. Quick, right. That's true. Actually, he might be doing me a favor. Hey, wait a minute. You know, I mean, I, I don't know if you've been paying your taxes, Dave, or whatever, but, uh, yeah, you know, if, I just if paid. Uh, I just don't, don't start oh, me about right. paying taxes. <laughs> no, oh, I hear you. <laughs> that's right. You, you have to do uh, funded a small village. Right? <laughs> Uh, but you know what? But, no, but I, I don't. Say, we're, Actually, we're all adults here, so Dave. We got we got all a pay our taxes. Right? Oh no, no, it's fine. Actually, here's a. It, this has nothing at all to do with the Mac, but uh, but it is a good life tip and it's a good accounting mm. tip that I learned um, over the years because I know a lot of people here have their own businesses. If you um you, you know you got to pay your taxes quarterly, right? Uh, if you if you're gonna need to pay in, otherwise uh, you get dinged for penalties. But there is a workaround here. Uh, and you got to check with your accountant to make sure this works for you. But I think it kind of works for everybody as far as I understand it. Uh, if you pay yourself as an employee, taxes paid at, at, you know, that are reported on your W-2 are considered to all have been paid on time, regardless of when the money actually came in. So I do. I pay myself as an employee. But I know that sometimes I, I know that I'm going to have to pay extra because it, it's just how it works. You know, long story, but I know I'm going to have to pay extras. So for my final paycheck of the year, which happens to be in the fourth quarter, which happens to me when we earn a little more of our revenue with the advertising business and all of that, I pay extra taxes in and that covers me for the whole year because, uh, because the, um, because anything, it's just a loophole, anything received as the government sees on your W two is considered to have been paid on time. And they do that because, you know, it, the average person thinks, well, if all I'm getting is my income from my paycheck, it's got to be on time. And, and you know, there you go. So that's uh, that's uh, there's your little tip since you brought up taxes, because I just did that for myself yesterday. So anyway. I yeah, know. it's it's coming to the end of the year. Yeah. Actually, if if uh, if you got Nine some extra away. dough, make those uh, contributions. You can still do it. Right. Charitable contributions. Charitable contributions. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't pay taxes. Good for you. No, no. Just I'm sorry. Wait, what? <laughs> no. I, oh no, I am. No, I like know. everybody. I know. But yeah. no, the gymnastics. You know, I just wish they'd. Uh, no, we're not the political geek app, but I just wish they'd make it simpler, Dave. Oh my gosh, every it's year crazy. it's just yeah. so. Well, it's, I, mean, I mean, I I fill out all these schedules. I got investments. I got business. You know, because I list this as business stuff, and then yeah. you know, actually, last year was the first time I did deductions based on business expenses. You know, for travel and and stuff related to to doing the tech journalism thing. You know, you're and, preaching uh, to the choir on this, right? Well, it worked for me because in the past I, I was not really paying attention to it, but actually, well, no, what happened is I came up on a year where I'm like, uh Oh, I think I may owe a penalty. And I'm like, wait, let me look at the schedule C. I think it's the schedule C, right? It is the schedule C. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, you know, I bought this computer and, uh, right. you know, I did this travel for, for, uh, you know, covering this event and Hey, and, and it added up. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I, of course it adds up. Yeah, no, you, if you can. So take on the one the hand, I wish it was simpler. Them. On the other hand, it it uh, it did help me when I paid attention to it. So, right. OK, right. ending the tax geek gab and and where <laughs> where are we? Where are we next year, Dave? We're, we're almost at an hour. But uh, but, you know, it's the end of the year. We, we should probably give a little 
give a little extra here. All right. Yeah, I, that's I don't fine. know where we should go on this. Uh, let's see. I'm looking. Um, yeah, let's go to art. Arts is arts okay. is a good one. It's a good uh, kind of a general advice thing. Art writes, Santa came early and brought me a new 27-inch 3.4 gigahertz iMac. I have an wow. old, yeah, I know. I have an old 24-inch iMac. I want to set the 27 up as my new computer, of course, but I have iTunes Match on and all my music is there. I need also need to get my iPhone apps and podcasts from uh, my old computer to my new computer. And I need to get my iPhoto library moved as well. Do you have any suggestions? Okay, so if I'm assuming based on the way you wrote your email art that you do not want to use migration assistant. But if you did use migration assistant, all of the above would be covered. Your iTunes library would be moved. Your iPhoto library would be moved. And more importantly, all of the sync states that you have from your uh, iPhone and iPod and iPad and even I, iTunes in the cloud or iTunes match, sorry, uh, would 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 transfer over. That's fine. But assuming you don't want to use migration assistant, it's actually still pretty easy. Uh, really, the, the idea is for your photos, you go into uh, home pictures, home photos, right? And uh, and copy the iPhoto library file. Uh, it's actually a package. But uh, but it comes across. So you go into home pictures. Yeah. And then copy right. your iPhoto library file from your old Mac to your new Mac. And then and it'll and replace the one that presumably is empty on your new Mac. And it'll launch. And if there's an if you're running a newer version there, it'll update it and you're good to go. That'll work. As for iTunes, uh, really, believe it or not. And this is going to come as a surprise with all the quirkiness that iTunes has. But if you go into home and music. And copy your iTunes folder from your old Mac to your new Mac. Again, replacing everything that's on the new one. Presumably you haven't put anything new on there. All of that will work, including your sync states. That has worked for me. I just copy the, the folder over and it remembers how I've synced and where I am with my iPod. And it doesn't say you're on a new computer and you need to start from scratch and all of that. It just works. So, so, uh, so there you go. You can just move those folders. If, assuming you don't want to use migration assistant. So. John that that's been my experience as well. Good. Um, aperture you can create. So there's one option here on aperture you can create and maybe we'll get to this question. Maybe we won't, but aperture lets you create a vault. So okay. aperture is a higher end package, but they let you create a big old womp and file of all your stuff called a vault. So if you're running Aperture, you, you may want to, uh, on occasion, store a vault file, which uh, if you pull it back in, uh, it's similar to the library. Well, actually, it is the library. I think it's just a point in time, okay. but it's a it's a nice uh, alternative. And I, I've been doing that on the Drobo just just because uh, I'd, I'd rather have multiple backups. So even though I back up my Aperture to a time machine, yep. I, I like the vault thing, too. Just because yeah yeah why not so no. i guess in general my, my advice for, for for a lot of these backup questions is having one backup and i think you you'd agree dave having one backup is probably not enough it's good and especially but especially if it's in the same physical location it's probably not that great you you want to yeah. you want to spread them out uh, you know uh take security in mind but you want to have multiple backups in multiple locations, if at all possible. And again, you got to, you know, think about how to secure them 
and all that. But uh, one backup, I, I think, is is not enough because I agree. Yeah. Yeah. A time machine and a, a super duper clone is a good stable place to be. Uh, there's there's more you can do. You can do online backups or, you know, multiple clones and, and all of that. But but, and you know, and yeah. you know what I have, Dave? I mentioned this on a recent uh, another podcast that yeah. was on this. Uh, what was it? The International. No, no, no. Mac Roundtable. We were talking about backups. I have not one, not two, not three, but four backup options, Dave. It's mind boggling. So what do I use? I'm going to tell you very quickly. Dropbox. Yep. That's one. SugarSync. Oh, yeah. Box.net and Pogo Plug. Because I got an offer from Drobo saying, hey, you know what we got to do with Pogo Plug? You get 10 gigs or or whatever for nothing. So I have Mm -hmm. four services now that I can access from both my Mac and I think for the most part from my iDevice. So you have more than four. You've got six because you got that, then your time time capsule and your super duper clone. (laughs) That's great. So it's crazy. So all those services have their pluses and minuses, but they're all worth looking into. So again, Dropbox, SugarSync, Box.net, or I think they now switched over to Box.com and Pogoplug. Why the heck not? Yeah, why not? Right. Right. All right. Let's uh, you know, we have a tip about uh, about photos and uh, and listener Scott sent this in. Scott says, I often have the occasion to add a photo to a tweet or blog post and don't want to go through opening iPhoto looking for the shot. I want exporting it as it just takes too long. And for those who might be short on RAM, iPhoto can really suck the oxygen out of whatever RAM you've got left on board. (laughs) He's right. It is. It, yeah. iPhoto is a bear to launch, uh, especially if all you want to do is, you know, find a quick picture and out you go. Uh, so Scott says, instead, I use the photo browser in Apple's mail. Just click on the icon at the top of a new email uh, and mail's iPhoto or mail's, mail's photo browser appears, giving you a mini iPhoto with a complete look at all your albums and library and all that good stuff. Simply find the photo you want in the browser and drag it to your desktop or downloads folder and you're done. From there, you've got a perfectly exported version of the file and can post it, share it or send it however you like. I never thought about doing this. That What a great idea, Scott. Yeah, because it's right there and you probably have mail open all the time. And uh, and so there you go. I like it. Good stuff, man. It's, it's good. And you know, it's not just, but but I think it's in most Apple programs. But if you go to the help and you search for media browser, this is a, I'll agree. It's a little right. known function within the Mac OS X environment that a lot of Apple and other programs can access, but you may not think of it. So, so yeah, no, that's an excellent tip. I loved it. Yeah. All right, we got a bunch of uh, a bunch of cool stuff found here. Uh, the first one is uh, is awesome. It comes from Greg, and Greg says, "I'm sure this will come in handy on your MacBook Air, where you're using full screen mode for a lot of apps." And it's called Yoink. Yoink is available from the Mac App Store for two ninety nine. Uh, what it does is it essentially creates a little. Um, you grab a file. It's, you gotta look, you gotta see the video, but the, but the concept is you want to take a file from say your desktop or a finder window and drag it into perhaps a mail message or somewhere else on a different space or a different screen. So what you do is with yoink, you drag it to this little, uh, I don't know what do they call it? Uh, it it's really just like a, a stack. You drag it onto this little stack. It sits there. You navigate the stack persists across all the screens when it's got something on it. You go to uh, whatever screen you want. You drag it off this little stack, and uh, the 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 icon goes away, and boom, you've got your file. So you don't you're not trying to. I, I can't tell you how many times I've tried to you know drag a file from the Finder to a mail message, and I run mail in full screen mode on my Air, 
And, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember what is the keyboard command. And I've got this whole thing. You got to hold your mouth just right. And the phase of the moon and all this stuff, uh, this solves that problem. So thanks, Greg. That's good stuff. Good stuff. You don't have an air yet, right, John? No, no. Okay. I didn't, I didn't think so. I got the MacBook pro like you still, right? I don't know. I, I, my daughter has that one. Oh. I handed that down. He's got the air. I have the I air. Mean, now. She's got it. Early 2008. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to run this into the ground after, after it's little bout with uh, Apple care and they, they fix it up a little bit. It's still doing the job. for me. I think, I think her hard drive is dying, which is bad. I got to replace that quick. Well, I could re- recommend a nice spindle drive or, or well, see, I have SSD a, guy. I have a, my SSD that I had in that machine, uh, uh, flaked out. And, uh, and so I sent it back to run court and they said, Oh yeah, this drive shot. And they sent me a new one. But of course, in the meantime, I put the old drive that came with that machine back in it. And that's the one that's being, being flaky right now. Um, huh. probably cause it sat on the bench for, you know, two years or whatever and not being used. But, um, but you know, the problem is that, that run court, she's using probably about a hundred, almost, you know, 180, hundred, almost 200 gigs worth of data and the run core drives, 128, so I'm trying to figure out, and I told her, I said, it could be faster, but you know, you got to figure out something to do with your music well, library or whatever. So, well, you know, David, you know, the drive I got, so I got a Hitachi 500 gig drive and now the same series drive, I believe they've upped it to, uh, and you can get it at max sales, our, our pals there. Yeah. Um, but I believe now that drive now, the uh, two and a half inch form factor is now up to 750 gigs. And it's, uh, it, it is not at the level of performance of the, uh, of the SSD. What's that, that going to cost me? Do you know? Oh, you know, check it out. All right. It's maybe that's if you got something to, go. to babble about. I got John. I always got stuff to babble about, <laughs> I mean, you know? So, so what, what drive is it? You're saying it, uh, um, well, I have a Hitachi right now in my MacBook pro. I got okay. the 500 gig when I got it against your advice, you know, I, I right. decided not, not to listen SSD. to you. Right. Uh, no, but let's see. Internal storage. Well, see, it's easy uh, for me n- to not buy an SSD when I don't have to live with it every day. So, you mm-hmm. know, and it's going to be faster than whatever she's got. So, you know, we're, we're moving in the right direction here. So let's see here. All right. So max sales. I still think she so, should find a way to use the 128 gig SSD because it's here and you know, it's way fast sitting there. Yeah. If she doesn't want it. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, here we go. I, I just found the first one here again. Max Sales, you and I, and I think Pete, we, we all love these guys. Oh, so yeah, they're selling a 750 gigabyte Hitachi Travel Star 7K 750, which, as far as I can tell, is the same series that I have 7,200 RPM. How much SATA, money? Uh, 160 bucks. All right, that's not bad. Okay, that's not bad for 750 gigs. That's more right? she needs. Yeah. Well, uh, it, no, no, it's no. better to have, it's better to have more than less. That I agree with. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, tr- it's more than triple what she needs. I mean, the drive that I got here, I'm looking right now and the drive that I got is now a hundred bucks. So, right. Yeah. There you with go. the, with the replacement kit. That's the other thing I love about oh, Max Sales. They're nice. not paying us to say this, but they also offer a kit where you get a, a enclosure for your old drive. Cause what are you going to do with your old drive? Throw it away? No, of course not. That's terrible. So, right. uh, yeah, they should pay us to say this, but they don't. But no, looking at all these drives, no, I'm I'm amazed. The uh, no, they have a number of 750 gig drives here. Again, rotational 7200 RPM. They're they're not SSD speed, but it, they give you the juice. They give you the space, and it sounds like your your daughter, you know, yeah, she needs I got to space. Figure it out. I got to figure it out. All right, yeah, Paul. Well, 
Paul writes week. He says he's got two things that he wants to talk about uh, in the cool stuff found category. Number one week, Cal. W-E-E-K, not W-E-A-K. <laughs> uh, we, That'd be a terrible product. Terrible. Though. No, Weak Cal is much better than Weak Cal. Weak Cal from the uh, App Store for the Mac adds the functionality you would normally associate it with iCal on OS X. This fantastic little app adds copy and paste while the mini month view looks very similar to that displayed in iCal, making it very easy to see your upcoming appointments at a glance. Actually, I'm not sure if that's for the Mac or for iOS. I assumed it was for the Mac. But no, it's for the iPhone. That's why it's so exciting. Huh. Hey, that's pretty good. Wow. That's a nice week view. Huh. We got to check that out. How much is this? He did not tell us. It is two bucks. Oh, I'm going to check that out. I live in my calendar. That's great. All right. I got to check that one out. And. Genius Scan Plus turns your iPhone into a portable scanner. Paul says, I recently purchased this app to scan a couple of documents and archive some receipts. The app utilized perspective correction and smart page technology to produce some very good results. Really? I was so impressed with the app that I upgraded from the free version to the paid app to support the developer. This sounds a a lot like Prism, right? Which we talked about uh, at uh, Mm. Macworld Expo last year, right? Wasn't it Prism? What was the uh, the scanning app? Uh, I thought it was Prism for the iPhone, but maybe not. I don't recall. It makes me nervous, but if if Paul's saying it's it's good, uh, MacWorld Expo Mac Geek. Uh, along those lines, I use one called Doc Scanner. It does a nice job with JPEGs and PDFs and all that sort of stuff. Uh. You can mail it to you. And I keep all my expense report receipts. Prismo, Prismo is the one, and I think they have an iPhone version. Right here, IZMO. Is that the one I used to scan receipts and all that stuff? Yes, Prismo from creaseed.com. And, and they do similar things with the, the aspect correction and all of that stuff. So it's, yeah, it's good stuff. So there you go. Uh, Genius Scan, Prismo. And what's yours called, Pete? Doc Scan. Doc Scan. All right. Yeah. Well, check them all out. All we, can't, we can't tell you which one's best because Paul thinks Geek. Uh, Genius Scan Plus is the best. I think Prismo is the best. Pete, Pete thinks Doc Scan is the best, but that's because that's used all we've two. used. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're on your own. But I am going to check out uh, uh, this Genius Scan thing, yeah. and uh, we'll we'll Pete and I'll fight about the other one. So that's good. Uh, Christmas isn't Christmas without a, without a big fight, right? Um, <laughs> <sorry>. Oh, brother! <laughs> uh, and booze. I know. <laughs> Uh, okay, one more. Uh, oh, this is actually really cool. This won't cost you anything, I promise. Well, you got to own a Mac, so... Go buy a new Mac for right, Christmas. There you go. Uh, Mark writes, uh, a few months ago, my Mac, my iMac running Snow Leopard began hanging at the blue screen whenever I tried to shut it down. It would hang there for hours and never shut down. I was forced to hold down the power button every time. I found myself wishing there was some way for me to see what was going on. Kind of like verbose mode on startup. As a wild guess, I issued the shutdown command and then pressed command V to see what would happen. Lo and behold, the iMac displaying mes- displayed messages telling me there was a process ID still valid preventing shutdown. I traced it to an old fitness tracker device that I had installed called Fitbit. Quick search of the Apple discussions turned up a fix, changing the timeout value in their launch daemon with a sudo write command. Never would have found it without verbose shutdown mode. So here's something interesting, Paul, uh, Mark, sorry. Uh, I never knew that you could do this at shutdown. 
But a, a, a little known trick that you've probably figured out if you've tried this, if you go to verbose mode on startup, that will persist for shutdown. So if you start up in verbose mode, you will shut down in verbose mode. So good tips. And I think, John, that uh, I, I got one. Oh, hey, I got one. I, I, I used it today, but it's a iOS app. But it was just so cool. I was digging through my uh, my, my various cards that I have with barcodes yeah. on them. It's a little app on the uh, uh, for iOS called Cardstar. Oh, I've been using that for a long time. I love it. Okay. Really? Oh, yeah. no, but I just used it today. So what is it? It's an app that basically lets you take, you know, all the loyalty cards. So I got Stop and Shop and I got uh, Hobby Town and, you know, my local store, Airlines, all sorts of cards with, with a readable uh, barcode. Well, gee, why couldn't you just scan this in to your iDevice? Oh, and then when someone asked great. for it, and I actually used it, to, uh, so I had never used it. I had it on my iDevice. And then today I used it at Stop and Shop. I was doing some shopping and I was in line and she's like, can I scan your card? And I'm like, hold on one second. I, you know, punched in my access code and I'm like, here. And she pulled out her laser gun, scanned it, beep, worked great. So this is like a loyalty card keychain. That's what I'm going to say. So it's not yeah. just that, but it's also apparently they tie into not that great though, but they apparently they, they, they make an effort to tie into special offers. I mean, I'm trying to, figure out the 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 logic for why they're doing what they're doing <laughs> right right yeah free. what's the business case yeah right well the yeah. thing is i see like like here i look bj's office max and stop and shop they have a little thing showing that there are special deals if i go through the app. so maybe that's their their model and then the, it's it's ad supported i see a thing you know top deals but just the fact that it can scan barcodes and display them and that the scanners at the store for the most part or at least my experience today can scan it that's just cool. I mean, again, it's like a virtual loyalty card keychain. If you don't freak out over loyalty cards and privacy and stuff like that. Dude, yeah. this it's is very nice. nice. I'm showing is- Dave here. You know, you, it's got things in there. You can go to another window on the bottom that says contact information. Click on customer service and it goes, hey, you want to call this number to customer service? It uses oh, your location, I haven't even done that. Deals. To me, yeah. it's just oh. having having a virtual keychain for all your, your cards. Absolutely. That's to me, awesome. That in and of itself, and that most uh, right now scanners are not uh, can yeah. scan. You know what I just thought your, of too, and I don't know if it supports it or not. It'd be great if it supports the uh, you know the BJ's and the Sam's Club. And well, that's, that's what I was wondering. Do, can know? I put my grocery store and Rite Aid and all that? Well, other mine yeah, right now. Right. Well, mine. Yeah. Well, mine yeah. has. So they they pre-populate. So right now I have BJ's on mine. Okay. It does right now. BJ's so okay. here I'll spit it out. Balducci's, BJ's, Bob's Store, Hobby Town, Media Wave. Which is my cool. local video store, Office Max, ShopRite, still and video Stop and Shops. Wow. What's a video store? <laughs> Dude, we have some younger um, listeners. It, you can't just well, throw that out. you got to explain <laughs> what that is, man. Well, you know, i got to say, Dave, <laughs> the, the local, and, and I think this was an agreement uh, brought about in the industry. My local video store, which is called Media Wave. So uh, the, they're a walk, you know, a five minute walk from my house. But the thing is, they get titles before Redbox. Oh, right. Because Redbox and their has to prices, wait 30 days or whatever. Right. Right. So, so uh, but the thing is, yeah. So, oh, no, so, they don't have, Redbox doesn't have to wait, do they? No, it's, it's no, Netflix they do. That no, somebody, somebody set up a deal. Mm. No, Redbox definitely lags. Mm. So, Redbox is good because Redbox is a dollar, a right. du- between a dollar and a dollar fifty, depending on the format yeah, and how it's you going buy up. it. Right. Yeah, but it's still a good deal. But oh, then yeah. my local video store, the thing is, number one, 
it, it's people that I like. Number two, they have things ahead of Redbox and the other cheap rentals, which sometimes I'll want to get the title ahead of time. But then they just have a huge library, which the other people don't. So, you know, it's, it's an option. Right. Cool. Wow, that's normally great. I don't have, but normally I don't have to use my card because they're like, oh, hi, John. The personal service. Or they're like, yeah, what, what, you know, your name, your address. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Oh, my gosh. I'm glad to the hear. band. The band. The band is here. Hail, hail. The band's all here. What uh, the heck do we care? What the heck? Do we care? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you know how to contact us, but we're going to tell you anyway. Uh, because you are part of the elite group of Mac Geek Gab listeners that gets to call yourself premium, uh, you can email us at premium at macgeekgab.com. And Dave, you got to write this time is that it's premium at macgeekgab.com. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember the last Come on, one. Come Pete. Pete. Go. Come on, Pete. Premium at MacGeekGab.com. Oh, hey, we got the three. There it is. <laughs> That's great. Uh, you can also call us as uh, as typical at 206-666-GEEK, which Pete is... 4335. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Wow. Wow. I know. I figured I'd throw it to him and see what happens to him. <laughs> uh, you can visit the lovingly handcrafted show notes at MacGeekGab.com. You can also Skype us to MacGeekGab. John, where else can they find us? Facebook. It's hey. amazing. Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab is our constantly growing Facebook community. But where else? Uh, well, you know, there's Facebook, but there's also this uh, Twitter thing. So on Twitter, I am John F. Braun. Dave Hamilton is Dave Hamilton. Pilot Pete is Pilot Pete. Mackie Cab is Mackie Cab. And Mac Observer is Mac Observer. It, it couldn't be any easier unless you're afraid of signing up for Twitter, which, yeah, well. Yeah. All right. And, uh, and of course, we'd like to thank uh, Michael Johnston, uh, the host of the We Have Communicators podcast, but also uh, the, uh, and more importantly, or more relevantly, uh, he is the gentleman who, for the last six plus years, has been converting this show to AAC and adding all those yeah. chapters and links and all of that stuff for us and for you. So thank you very much, Michael. And, uh, of course, the folks at Cashfly, Cashfly.com, provide all the bandwidth for us. Uh, and I and I really want to thank all of you. Uh, this is you know John and I love what we do here. We we have a blast as you can probably tell. We really do enjoy helping <laughs> you folks out uh, and answering questions and learning something. You know this show was a this episode rather was a great example uh, of of all of us, myself included, learning new things and and that's uh, that's kind of why we're all here. So uh, and then one. So, so thank oh. you, thank you very much. I, I do have one last thing, but go ahead, John. Yeah. Well, I want to give everybody, except for that one person. No, everybody gets a hug. <laughs> a group hug, everybody. Group hug, except if for, you're driving, so you, you the, can delay. Yeah. That well, no, sure. don't. <laughs> don't do that. But uh, no, likewise. Um, Dave and I kicked around the idea of premium, and uh, I think it's been worthwhile. We're all yeah, two two years. We've been doing premium. You know, we're all getting a boost out of it. Um, yeah. You help support us. We help support you. And, and we're all digging the Mac and, and sharing our tips and suggestions. And it's a beautiful thing. All right. Well, let's uh, let's kick it off here. I do have uh, one last thing to say as we as we let the band play us out, because uh, it's not today, the 22nd. But tomorrow, someone here in the uh, very immediate Mac Geek Gab family celebrates a birthday. So uh, really? 
Yankee. Shout out to Mr. Pilot P. Uh, here's the half a century. Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> 39, 12 of work. <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Holidays. Well wishes to you and yours. And one last thing. Please, whatever you do this holiday season, don't get caught. We'll see you next year. Thank you. Made up.